Chapter One of the Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Chuck Williamson. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Chapter One A New Member. Bill Darby's baseball team was not going so good this year. The trouble was that we only had ten fellows in our club, and I simply wouldn't play ball. You ask me why? I'll tell you. They had me for their secretary, and it was up to me to write down all that happened, and not only that, I had to do everything else. I simply had to take care of this bunch of boys. Believe me, they depended upon me to see that everything went right, and whenever anything went wrong, they would be sure to come and ask me to help them get out of trouble. Many's the time, but then I have a liking for that sort of thing anyhow. I guess God made me to be a good brother to these pals of mine. They all seem like brothers to me. To me, who never had a brother nor sister and I always go to my writing desk with a willing heart to do my work. Every day after school, we meet in the shack in the hollow. The boys wouldn't like to hear me call it a shack now. They call it the clubhouse. <laughs> but anyway, it was a shack at first, built by three runaways from college. At that time, we were holding our meetings in a stranded houseboat on the riverbank. But when the old houseboat came to grief, through an incident described in my earlier records of Stoner's Boy, we had to find a new place to meet in. In our old standby, Doc Waters, the only doctor in our town, got permission from Judge Granberry to allow us to meet in the shack in the hollow, which, when Doc Waters got through with it and put on a new porch, came to be called the clubhouse. Now, as I said in the beginning, Bill Darby wasn't at all satisfied with the way our baseball team was going. He came into my writing room one day with a face as long as a fiddle and flopped down in the chair beside my desk. I happened to be writing the minutes of the meeting, and I looked up surprised as he noisily interrupted me. What's making you crazy, Bill? I asked. You're not in the habit of acting like this. I never saw you button into me like this before. What's on your great big mind now? Shucks, he said. That don't tell me anything, I said. Talk sense, Bill. Don't say words that don't mean anything. I hear the fellas in the lot practicing ball. Why ain't you out there coaching them? Why? he demanded. You tell me why, Hawkins. You tell me why. I know why, I repeated. How do you mean? You ought to be out there too, he said, savagely. You belong. Then, seeing that I was a little hurt, he added quickly, Not that I don't appreciate you, Hawkins, but honest to goodness, we need you. We ain't got enough players to make a ball team. Only nine. Just enough to go round. Anytime I need an extra player, I'm lost. Nobody can be spared. 
Why, the last game Jerry Moore pitched, he was terrible. I put Lou Hunter in his place from first base and put Roy Doble on first and put Jerry in Roy's place out in right field. <sighs> Jerry got sore. He deliberately let go a fly that he could have held. We lost. How are we ever going to win a game with that kind of stuff? They don't stick together, Bill, I said. Oh, he said, jumping to his feet. Are you telling me something I don't know? They don't stick together. Of course they don't. They won't play ball. And I'm not going on with the team less than they do stick together. I gotta have an extra man to put in there when the pinches come. If I'm going to run our baseball team, I want good fellows. You got good fellows, I broke in. You've got the best fellows I ever met, Bill, every one of them. He caught my meaning. He nodded his head. I know, he said. I'd never knock one of them outside of our crowd. You know that, Hawkins. But I'd tell you the truth. I'd tell you how they act. I need two pitchers at least. And I wish you'd tell Jerry Moore that he ain't a pitcher and never will be. He has some skill, I said. Jerry has learned a few curves from Will Standish. His curves are all right, said Bill. And he can pitch up to a certain point, Hawkins. But when he's wild, he won't give in. He won't listen. When I want to take him out, he almost breaks up the game. I ask you, is that a way for one of our fellows, our fellows, I mean, to act? <laughs> I had to laugh at Bill's earnestness. No, I said slowly, I guess it is not, Bill. But you will remember that Jerry has been that way as long as he has been a member of our gang. Jerry's a great big overgrown nut. I'll talk to him myself when I get him alone. He'll listen more to you than he will to anybody, said Bill. And Hawkins, I wish you'd get Lou Hunter's mind off of music. That's all he thinks of. Says he don't care a dern for baseball, but only plays along because we all want him to. Now, I know Lou's a good pitcher, only if he'd let that dern organ alone over there. Bill had a sorrowful look on his face as he nodded toward the battered melodeon that stood in a corner of our meeting room. Lou Hunter was a musician, born that way, I guess, and it's hard to put any other thing, even baseball, ahead of music when a boy has it born in him. Music is an art, and a musician is an artist, and I don't know of any artist who cares much for sports such as baseball and the like. Bill, I said, you came to me for advice, I take it. What else do you think, he said, rather sharply. Nothing, I said. I ought to have sense enough to know what you come to me for with this kind of talk. Now, Bill, you know I just won't play baseball. I'm too fat in the first place, and I couldn't hit an elephant if someone threw it at me much less a little thing like a baseball. But if I were you, I'd get myself some new players. You need an extra pitcher, you say. Lou Hunter is a good one. All right, take Lou for a pitcher. Don't let him do anything else. 
but jerry's a good pitcher till he flies up protested bill all right keep him in the box till he flies up then use lou hunter but lou plays first base i don't want jerry to play first don't let jerry play anything after you take him out of the box make him sit on the bench and look on what'll i do for first base put roy doble there you said he was good <laughs> yes but bill paused he looked at me for a moment then you mean we ought to get another boy in the club he asked exactly i answered get a new boy bill what will the other fellows say they will all have a chance to vote on a new member if they vote against him he stays out there's a new boy moved in next door to me said bill do you reckon he can get in see if he wants to first i said don't think every boy is just dying to get into our club bill that would be wrong ask him and see if he wants to first then we can talk about it that is how herb acomb came to be a member of our club it had been a long time since we took in a new member and all of the boys were glad to get herb he was a long lean lanky fellow with a cheerful face that was most of the time smiling and he had a habit of cracking jokes about things all the time i didn't pay much attention to him at first but i finally got so attached to herb myself that perry stokes was quite jealous you know perry stokes calls himself overseer of our clubhouse and he always took a personal interest in me why i don't know he did that's all even now i always find him right at my heels wherever i go well bill darby brought down herb acomb at the next meeting the vote was passed and herb was asked by our captain dick ferris to step outside while the results was counted the little slips of paper that had been passed around to the boys were gathered up by perry stokes and laid on the table in front of dick ferris johnny mclaurin and i watched dick as he opened the slips and counted the votes every boy has voted to take herb acomb into the club announced dick so herb was brought in again and the good news was given to him he smiled his same old smile to tell you the truth in every moment except fighting moments herb acomb wore that smile and many times even up to the very moment of a fight i saw that smile upon his face it would go for an instant while he sent a punch to the jaw maybe in a fight but as soon as he had landed his blow or maybe taken one that he hadn't expected to take he would be smiling again herb acomb i said as i stood up the crowd has voted to take you in as a member of our club and I am happy to be the first one to say I'm glad you are one of us. Thanks, he said, smiling. You know, you remind me of a fella. <laughs> Never mind the jokes, said Bill Darby. You come out right away and practice with us. We gotta beat the Cardinals next Sunday, or I'll quit being captain of this bunch of bum baseball players. We now had eleven boys in our club. 
I will give you their names so you will know. Dick Ferris, Captain, Bill Darby, Baseball Captain, Lou Hunter, Music Master, Johnny McLaren, Past Captain and General Counselor, Shadow Loomis, Robbie Hood, Roy Doble, Jerry Moore, Perry Stokes, Herb Acomb, and myself. A pretty good bunch if I do say it myself. You can leave out me and I'll still say it's a pretty good bunch. Shadow Loomis and Robbie Hood should also be added to the list of counselors. Maybe it put down my name for that, too. We were always called in anyhow whenever the club wanted advice. Well, to go on with this writing, Herb Acomb hadn't been a member of our club for very long before he got the idea into his head that I was pretty much of a member myself. Leastways, he would hang around the clubhouse after meetings bothering me until one day I said to him, Herb, do you know why you were taken into the club? Do you really know why we wanted a new member? Uh, not exactly, Hawkins, he said. You tell him, cause I stutter a little. I smiled at him. Who could help smiling at Herb Acomb when he talked like that? Herb, I said. They took you in because they needed another baseball player. You know I don't play. Too fat, that's all. And so they took you in. Why don't you show more interest in the game? I'm new, he said. Hawkins, I ain't got acquainted with this bunch, tell you the truth. I can pitch a ball as fool Babe Ruth, but I ain't got enough acquainted with these other fellers yet. Seems like you and me's old pals. Seems like I knowed you afore I was born. Ain't that funny? No, not to me, I said. I heard of funnier things, Herb. You and me'll get along all right, Herb, but you just gotta please Bill Darby. He's an old friend of mine. Knew him ever since he was nine years old. Best kind of a fella. And you will be glad to know him when you get better acquainted. But now I want you to go out and be a baseball player for him, won't you? Herb hesitated. I ain't so sure, Hawkins, he said. Then, with his fingers to his lips, he thought a moment. How'd you come to get called Secretary Hawkins? I ain't never heard a fella called that away afore. They picked me out, I said to write down all that happened in the club. We were only kids then, and I was only nine years old. I didn't know how to spell secretary, and so when they put it up to me to write down which was which, I wrote that I was secretary, and the nickname has stuck to me ever since, Herb. I guess it will always stick to me now. I wish I could have known the others that aren't with us anymore. Since we went into our teens, seems like an age. You should have known us when Johnny McLaren was at the head. He was our first captain. Perry's been telling me about the skinny guy, said Herb. Ah, you mean old Link Lambert. Well, Herb, I expect to see something of Link this summer. You shall know the skinny guy. He is my best friend. We went through many exciting adventures together. <sighs> Poor old skinny guy and me. But say, 
I don't want you to call him that, you understand? Perry's got his nerve, but then Perry's my bodyguard. He can say things that I wouldn't allow in others. When you meet the skinny guy, you will call him Link Lambert, won't you? I surely will, said Herb with a smile. I read about you and him. You was the birds that found that Casanova treasure in Cuba? Did you read about that in the papers? I asked. And then I was right into a deep talk again. For darn it, I can't resist the temptation of talking about that Cuba episode. It was a great chapter of my life. Many times I have said to myself it would be better for me if I could forget it, but, honest to goodness, I can't forget it. I don't like to admit that I like to talk about it, but I certainly do. And when I found out that Herb had read about it, I made him sit close to me and listen to my own version of it, which he did with smiles upon smiles when I told him how we had outwitted those villains and the Pearl of the Antilles. "'You are used to danger, aren't you, Hawkins?' he asked when I had finished. "'I could not live without it,' I said. "'Herb, I need excitement. I know it is foolish for a boy to say that, but I tell you, Herb, as long as I have been able to know what's what, I've been having one darn thing after another happen to make me think and figure out the reason. I guess I might as well own up to you, Herb. I like excitement.' even though I am afraid of it. You'll get it now, he said simply. I sat back and looked at him. What do you mean by that? I asked. What do I mean? He repeated with the same old smile. Why, you have taken into your club a boy who will bring it to you. That's all. When Pooley knows I have joined you fellas, <laughs> Uh, good night. Who's Pooley? I demanded. You'll find out soon enough, he said. Which we did. End of chapter one.